During the 16 years, he was ministering in a small church and he stunk, stuck him in a trunk. 57 hymns, put him in a trunk. But he had a deep desire and a burden to go and do missionary work. So he went to India in 1822. And then in preaching and teaching. And then in 1826, he preached to a large crowd in the, in the hot sun. And uh, afterwards, he went into a, a pool full of cool, cool, cold water. And he suffered a stroke and died. After his death, his wife, his widow, found the 57 hymns in a trunk and published them. And one of them was holy, holy, holy. And it refers to Revelation 4, verse 8 through 11. It's a wonderful hymn. Today I'm speaking on Moses, a great leader with anger issues. If you can turn to Exodus chapter 2. And to Acts chapter 7, verse 20. I realized one of the things I've, that I've, in the last few years, I've been preaching on Old Testament characters. I realized that I've preached on Joseph a few times, Abraham, I preached on David recently. We talked about Amazing Grace with Mephibosheth. Uh, I preached on a prophet with no name. And today I'm preaching on Moses, a great leader with anger issues. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you open our eyes and open our ears so that we may see and hear wonderful things from your word. Speak to our hearts, Lord, as only God can do. Be glorified and be exalted. May we all take heed according to your word. In Jesus' name and all the people said, Amen. According to Acts chapter 7, the life of Moses can be divided into three segments. He spent the first 40 years thinking he was a somebody, Acts 7.20. He spent the second 40 years learning he was a nobody, Acts 7.30. And he spent the third 40 years discovering what God can do with anybody, Acts 7.36. Moses is a great man of God, a great man of God. He's a great author. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch. He was the great deliverer. He delivered Israel from Egypt after 400 years in captivity and slavery. He was the great lawgiver. He received the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. He was the great leader. He was God's chosen servant who exercised unwavering faith. He was the great shepherd. He shepherded the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years. Do do anybody know how many people that was? Two million people. That's a lot of people to shepherd. He was the great statesman. He stood before Pharaoh during the ten plagues. He was the great prophet. He spoke in the place of God. Thus saith the Lord. Moses did miracles. He stretched out his staff and God parted the Red Sea. He had an intimate relationship with God on the mountain. And when he came down from the mountain, his face radiated. They had to put a veil over it because his face shone 
from being in, in the glory of God. Moses was a great man of God. But he was also a paradox. He was born in a hut, yet he lived in a palace. He was the child of a Hebrew slave, yet he was also the son of the queen of Egypt. He was educated by the world's wisest teachers, yet he was trained by God in the desert. His family came from poverty, yet he enjoyed opulence and unlimited wealth. He was a fugitive of Pharaoh, yet he was an ambassador for God. He was a leader of armies, yet he was the keeper of flocks of sheep and goats. Amazing man. Moses is the only man in the Bible to have God as his undertaker. God buried Moses in Deuteronomy 34, 6. Now, I can't stand here and justify his actions or, or his behavior. As we all know, anger is a strong, powerful, and natural human emotion. We all get angry, except for Terry. <laughs> Many people in the Bible got angry. Jonah got angry in Jonah 4.1. David got angry in 2 Samuel 12.5. Samson got angry in Judges 14, 19. Jesus got angry in John 2, 13. God got angry in 1 Kings eleven nine. 9. Righteous anger is not a sin. I'm going to say that one more time. Righteous anger is not a sin. But selfish, self-centered, carnal, resentful, uncontrolled anger, that's a sin. We have to learn how to handle and express our anger. It's a strong emotion. And that's why Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and sin not. We have to distinguish between anger that is for God's sake, righteous indignation, versus anger that is for our sake, sinful anger. And as we're talking about today, Moses was a man who did not always handle his anger correctly. But in spite of this, he became useful for God's sovereign purpose. Today, we're going to speak on the topic of Moses and anger. Now, I know nobody here at Grace Bible Church has a problem with anger. Nobody. But you might want to take notes for a friend. So if you would... Psychologists state that there are five levels of anger that we come across. Each one more intense than the last. And the first level is called mild irritation. It is marked by uneasiness, some unpleasant disturbance. It is the lowest level of anxiety. Mild irritation. Me and my wife went to San Diego on vacation. And I remember I went to a restaurant. And they gave me a taco. I ordered a taco. And it had very little meat in it. I was irritated. <laughs> you don't mess with my tacos. <laughs> we get irritated when people don't do things our way. I, I'm very... got to do things our way. Sometimes... 
noisy children in a church or in a theater or in a restaurant. You go out to a nice restaurant. That causes irritation. You're trying to enjoy your meal. Or sometimes someone leaves the toilet seat up. That causes irritation. Okay, that's the first level. Mild irritation. The second level is called indignation. It's a deeper level of intensity. And this is a reaction to something that is perceived to be unfair or unreasonable. Like, for example, when you're watching a football game and the referee makes a bad call, a fan might get indignant and yell or scream at the TV. Nobody here does that. Sometimes we get indignant when you are insulted. Or when someone says something that deeply hurts you. They talk about you. That can create indignation. Jesus in Mark ten fourteen became indignant when the disciples prevented the, the little children from coming to him. Mark ten fourteen. That's the second level. Indignation. The third level is called wrath. Wrath is something that no one restrains. No one restrains wrath. And psychologists say wrath never goes unexpressed. When anger reaches this level, you have a strong desire to avenge and to fight back. You don't hold back. Wrath wears many faces and all of them are ugly. You you stand with your your fists clenched. Your veins start popping out of your neck and you make a, a face, an expression You can tell just by looking at that person. They're angry. The fourth level. Uncontrolled anger soon becomes fury. Fury always strikes out against someone. Fury introduces violence. A lot of times unresolved domestic conflict leads to fury. It, It can be between a husband and a wife. And before you know it, it escalates into throwing things and breaking things. Sometimes even into violence. And that's called domestic violence. That's fury. But the fifth level of anger is called rage. And rage is the most intense expression of anger. It is also the most dangerous level of anger. It can so overwhelm a person that it causes them to commit brutal acts of violence. And sometimes performed without even conscious awareness. People have committed murder because of rage. People have shot people on the freeway. And do you know what that's called? Road rage. Road rage. It was on the news recently. Somebody followed someone off the freeway and shot them in the driveway. Road rage. I have known people who have committed domestic violence and even murder. And they say, in a matter of moments, I snapped. And then they confessed. Their crime. In a moment of rage, I snapped. And they committed this crime. But before you sit in judgment on any of these people, we have to confess that we all have within us the potential to commit the very same violence. The only difference is a matter of self-control. And as Christians, thank God we have the Holy Spirit to help us to restrain And control our lives. When you're led by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will even tell you. That's enough. Stop. 
right there. Stop. Don't go anymore. If we did not have that hope and strength within us, then our faith wouldn't, wouldn't be worth very much at all. But Christ offers hope to, to those of us who struggle with anger. And if we fail to do our part, then we're going to struggle with anger just as Moses did. If you learn nothing else from this message on the life of Moses, I hope you learn the sad and tragic consequences of anger. Anger is an action and an emotion that can either bring God glory or it can be a sin. Now let's look at Moses. And the very first one that I want to talk about is murderous anger. Turn to Exodus 2.11. And you're going to be using your Bible today, so you're going to need to turn and flip. And it's okay if you want to mark in your Bible, write something, notes. Moses is here in Exodus 2.11. And it says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why did you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Moses is about 40 years old when he sees this Egyptian slave driver beating one of his own people. And upon seeing this, Moses became indignant and erupted with fury. And Exodus 2.12 says he looked this way and he looked that way. And seeing that no one was looking, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses committed an act of murder. And then he dug a shallow grave and covered up with sand. I, I want to ask a question. Is this righteous anger or is it a sin? This is a sin. Moses knew it was wrong. How do you know it's wrong? The first thing you know, and this is a, you look this way and you look that way. You look, you look to the left, you look to the right. Is somebody looking? Is somebody watching? Because then, otherwise you wouldn't do You just do it. Yeah. He looked. But you know what? <laughs> He didn't look up, did he? <laughs> he looked both ways, but he didn't look up. This demonstrates that anger is not simply the actions of those who are ignorant or uneducated. Because Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Are you still in uh, Acts chapter 7? Acts seven twenty-two. Keep your finger in Exodus. Acts 7.22, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Okay. Don't think for a moment that an advanced education, a master's or a PhD degree, is all you need to restrain your anger problem. <laughs> it goes much deeper than that. You cannot educate your anger away. 
Then did you catch the motive behind Mo, uh, Moses' anger? In Acts 7.23, it says, he avenged him. In another version, it says, he took vengeance. Moses got revenge. That is why he murdered the Egyptian. I wish I could say that Moses just snapped. But that is not how scripture explains it. Moses acted deliberately and according to his plan. Picture this. Moses saw the beating of the Hebrew slave. And he said, enough of this unfair treatment. Indignation. And he says, I'm going to get, take some action. And he rolled up his sleeves and he committed murder. Fury. He looked this way. He looked that way. And then he committed murder. You say, oh, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't done that. In Matthew 5.21, Jesus said, if you hate someone, if you're angry with your brother, then you have committed murder in your heart. Did the cruel taskmaster need to be punished? Yes. Was it wrong for the taskmaster to beat the Hebrew slave? Of course. But when Moses stepped up and started his own rescue mission, he was energized by the flesh and not by the spirit. And matter of fact, he was about 40 years ahead of God's schedule. The truth is, when you rely on the flesh to do something, you don't need more education. You don't need another degree. You don't need to attend more training seminars. You need wisdom. So do I, and so do all of us. And the consequence here, in Exodus 2.15, Moses had to flee to Midian. Moses had to leave home. And he, he was trained by God for the next 40 years. Moses received his um, BD degree back there. <laughs> Backside of the desert degree. <laughs> there's a consequence to anger. You know, there really, there's a consequence. And murderous angry, anger, there's a consequence. Moses had to flee. Okay, so first we see the first type of anger, murderous anger. The second one is called unnecessary anger. Turn to Exodus 11, just a few pages over. Exodus 11, 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And look at this. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land 
of Egypt. After Moses returned to Egypt to lead the Exodus, he had nine encounters with Pharaoh before the tenth and final plague, the death of the firstborn. And when Moses visited Pharaoh, the Bible says in verse 8 that he went out in hot anger and he stormed out. Moses was furious. He was boiling mad. But you know what? This was unnecessary anger. Moses did not need to get angry. God had already told him in Exodus 4.21, he says, And the Lord said, When you get back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. He had already told him he's going to harden his heart. And then he tells him again in Exodus 7.3. He tells him in Exodus 10.1. And here in verses 11, um, 9 and 10. Even in verse 1, he says, Yet one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh, and afterwards he will let you go. He had already told him he wasn't going to let him go. But Moses got mad. He didn't need to get angry at all. All he had to do was go and deliver the message and leave. But he wasn't content just to deliver the message. He had to give it fury. And he left. And this anger was unnecessary. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. We live in a day and a time when it's, it's good to vent. It's cool to vent. Get it off your chest. There's even a movie out now called uh, Angry Birds. And uh, one of the birds named Red, he has a temper issue. He has, a, he has some anger problems. And he has to go to anger management. I was at Costco the other day and sometimes people back up because somebody's waiting for someone to pull out and so, you know, parking is not the best there and there was a bunch of cars backing up and someone started beeping the horn. Beep, beep. The lady got mad. She goes, excuse me? I know you weren't just beeping at me. Uh-uh. You're just going to have to wait. And I'm like, woo-wee. I'm going to wait. It wasn't me that she was beeping at. <laughs> wasn't me. <clears throat> we get mad unnecessarily. Traffic jams. We get mad when there's street work, construction. Sometimes um, when the child makes a mess or makes a spill, we get mad unnecessarily. They're just kids. We get mad because sometimes you come home from a hard day's work. And there's no food on, on the t- table. There's no dinner ready. You get mad. It's, it's easy. Just go get something. Call pizza. Get something. Don't get mad. Or when you come home and somebody's parked in front of your house. They parked in front of your house. <laughs> on a public street. We get mad. Angry. Somebody parked in my spot. Or you come to church on Sunday. Somebody's sitting in. Oh no they're not. They're sitting in my chair. That's my chair. They should know that's my chair. I sit in the back. And I do. I I sit in the back. So don't sit back there. (laughs) When you're denied a raise at work, you feel you do a good job. You work hard. You get mad. Or one of the things that really gets me mad. I, I realized this the other day. 
I'm going down the freeway, and all of a sudden, traffic backs up right there in San Mateo 92. I'm thinking, oh, what's going on? Uh, and we're going slow. We're going, me and Eva, and I could tell my blood, you can feel it. You can feel it rising. It's like, where is this coming from? It's coming up. And then I see an accident, and it's on the other side of the freeway. And I'm, I realize what's making me, the rubberneckers, they're slowing down. Keep going. Keep going. I got somewhere to go. You know, but no, they got to stop. Makes me make that's unnecessary anger. Someone steps on your brand new shoes. Oh, these are brand new, by the way. Please do not step on them. Brand new. People get angry. People get angry when you step on their shoes, or when uh, the the way the toothpaste is squeezed. You want it squeezed from the end. Somebody squeezes it right in the middle. You see it right there too. Get mad. You get angry. The solution? Does anybody know what the solution is? Exactly. Buy two. One for you. One for them. That's all. Or the way the toilet paper is facing. <laughs> is it is it over or is it under? I had this discussion with Ken. <laughs> over or under? Uh, the way the dishwasher is loaded. <clears throat> makes people angry. Is it necessary? N- no. It's, unnes- it's an irritation, yes. But it's a minor thing. And one of the things as a parent that I had to learn right away, and this is for parents with little children, there's minor but annoying things. Minor but annoying. MBA. Minor but annoying. Save your fights for the major things. The major things. That one I'll give you free. That one's free. <laughs> Proverbs 16.32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. In other words, self-control is superior to a strong warrior. Or Proverbs 25.28. A person without self-control is like a city broken into without walls. In other words, you are defenseless. You are a person with a temper who's open to all sorts of attacks. You are vulnerable. In Exodus 11, it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart as a divine judgment. But you know, Pharaoh hardened his own heart in Exodus 8.3. And my question is, do you have a hard heart? Do you have a hard heart? Moses tried to warn Pharaoh, but he was hardened. And he hardened his heart. As you read this, and as I studied, this is one of the greatest tragedies ever to to strike Egypt. The firstborn was not only heir to a double portion of the father's inheritance, but he also represented what was special and the strengths and qualities of that father. Pharaoh's firstborn son would have succeeded him on the throne. And the death of the firstborn and the animals would bring great sorrow, even if you didn't have children, because those animals were a big economic factor. And the Bible says there was a great cry that has never been heard before and never will be heard again. Can you imagine Pharaoh being humbled when he went and he saw his lifeless, limp son and picking him up and carrying him through the palace? Can you imagine the, the sorrow and the pain that father felt? It was strong. But it showed the awesome power of God God versus the the gods of Egypt with a small g. 
And what it reminded me, what it showed me is that those who reject God's grace and who reject his warnings are ultimately going to come under his judgment. You are no match for God. That's why Hebrews 3.7 says, Do not harden your hearts. Hebrews 3.13, That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.15, Do not harden your hearts. Hebrews 4.7, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. When God speaks to you, brothers and sisters, don't close up your ears. Don't refuse to listen. Because the more you do that, the more you harden your heart, and your heart becomes more calloused. And then it becomes harder to respond to the gospel. That's why uh, 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Now is the accepted time. Now is the accepted time. You need to respond at the moment that God is speaking to you. Because God has promised forgiveness. But He has not promised tomorrow. You do not know what a day may bring forth. And don't reject Christ. You are... In danger of the wrath of God. Turn to God now while it is the accepted time. Humble yourself and pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So one, we have murderous anger. Two, we have unnecessary anger. Three, we have destructive anger. Turn to Exodus 32. Many of you are familiar with this passage. Exodus 32. I'm reading verse 15. To 19 right now. Exodus 32. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Moses had climbed Mount Sinai to receive the tablets of the law, also known as the Decalogue or the tablets of the testimony. The Ten Commandments. And in Hebrew, it means the Ten Words. This was the law. But the law was meant to give knowledge of sin. And to lead us to repentance. As we've been learning these last what, months, year. The law does not save. The law shows us that we have fallen short. And even it says in... Chapter 3, verse 20, that the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You're not going to be saved through the law. But it shows us that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. What are we justified by? Also, Roman tells us, we are justified by faith. JBF. So the people were tired of waiting for Moses to return from the mountain. So they told Aaron to make them gods to go before us. So Aaron made this golden calf and the people started dancing with drunkenness, sexual immorality, revelry, idolatry. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of stone, 
he was angry. Verse 19 says, his anger burned hot. Hot anger. Moses became so angry that he took the tablets, the most precious document that man had ever possessed because they were written by the finger of God, and he flung them at the golden calf, and they broke. You say, well, shouldn't he have gotten angry? Yes. That's what we call righteous anger. It is the kind of anger a father feels when his child is in willful disobedience. A father has a right to feel anger anger towards such defiance. But the question is, how do you express that anger? That's the question. How do you express that anger? And look what Moses did. He took the precious document of God and threw it, broke them, they shattered, but he wasn't finished. Look at verse 20. He took the calf and they, that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people drink it. Man, can you picture that? Wow! You know, this is a vivid illustration of the worthlessness of idols. Because if the calf can't save itself, then how is it going to save the other people that are worshiping it? You know that? This was wor- And Moses was, was right to get angry, but he didn't express it the right way. We have seen this scene in the Ten Commandments so many times, but... We have never stopped to think that it was a temper, that it was out of control. All of our lives, we've excused Moses for this action. But God did not excuse him. Turn to Exodus 34. Just two chapters over. Verse 1. Look at what God says. The Lord said to Moses, Cut out for yourself two tablets of stone like the first one. And I will write on the tablets the words which were on the first tablets, which you broke. Mm. God said, this time you cut out the tablets, Moses. I already did it once. You do it. This is destructive anger. It leads to breaking things. Sometimes people I've seen on TV, they go to play golf. They get so angry, they throw their, their clubs in the water or they... Break them. Uh, I've seen people get angry, throw their phones because they're so mad. Um, Sometimes teenagers slam the door when they get angry. They don't like an answer. They slam the door and go to their room. People throw dishes and glasses. These are examples of explosive, destructive behavior. When you say, you make me so angry. You know what? Nobody makes you angry. You are angry. People just bring it out. It's there. People don't make you angry. Nobody makes you angry. How do you express your anger? There's two types. Internal anger leads to implosions. What means you blow up inside. Withdrawing, you isolate yourself, or you start brooding. Sometimes what we do is we ignore the person. We also call that the silent treatment. That's how you deal with anger sometimes. You just give them the silent treatment. And the person will ask you a question. Silent treatment. That's how sometimes we respond. Or sometimes like some people that internalize their anger, you can bump into them. Or you step on their shoes. Oh, oh, excuse me. Oh, that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. 
And inside, they're mad. They're angry that you did that. But they don't blow up. What they do is they cover it up. They internalize that anger. And you don't really know what's bothering that person. Because they've internalized it. Then you have the flip side. Okay, that's their implosions. Internal anger. You have external anger. They blow up. They're sometimes called volcanoes. And they say hurtful things. You might say to, to yourself, oh, that doesn't matter. Words are not hurtful. Words are hurtful. Remember that old childhood saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? That is so untrue. It is not true. It does hurt. Words hurt. And, and let me just say, it is not appropriate to yell and scream and curse at one another. It is not appropriate. Maybe your parents responded and reacted that way, but as adults and as those who call themselves Christians, we need to respond the right way. And the truth is, sometimes you don't think there's anything wrong with that because that's the way you grew up. But that is not okay. It is a sin. And what you are doing is ultimately destroying your relationship with that person. And you need to break that cycle. If you fail to speak correctly or with anger, then apologize for it and ask for forgiveness. Say, will you forgive me? You don't have to be perfect to be a good husband, to be a good wife, to be a good parent. But you have to apologize and ask for forgiveness when you get angry and sin. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to deal with your failures. There are no healthy marriages. There are no healthy families. And there are no healthy churches. I said churches. Without apologies and forgiveness. Because none of us are perfect. Do you know how many times I've had to go and ask for forgiveness from my wife and my daughters? It's not because what I said was not true. It was true. But I've had to apologize because of how I said it. Maybe a little sarcastic. Maybe with a little, you know. It's like, oh, why did I do that? And then you have to go and ask for forgiveness. And I'm telling you, thank God for my wife's forgiveness. Thank God. It is the glue. To many of our marriages and relationships, forgiveness is important. Forgive. You don't have to be perfect. None of us are. Just admit it when you're wrong. It takes a, it takes a lot. Especially to your daughters. Oh my gosh. But you know what? They see something. They see. You know what? That, that means a lot. Humble yourself. But it takes humility. So Moses had murderous anger. Moses had unnecessary anger. Moses had destructive anger. Fourthly, Moses had rebellious anger. Turn to Numbers 20. Numbers 20. This is rebellious anger. Let me give you some background while you're turning there. 
The children of Israel had been wandering through the desert for almost 39 years, and they were complaining every step of the way. Remember, there was two million of them complaining. Exodus 16.2 says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They were grumblers. They were complaining all the time. Exodus 16.6. Six times it says grumbling. It says, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you should grumble against us? And it keeps saying grumbling. Why are you grumbling? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And the Lord has heard your grumbling. Six times in that passage it says grumbling. And then finally God is giving them manna. In chapter 16, verse 15, he's given the manna, and the people are complaining about the manna. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. That's what manna means. What is it? There's even a song by this Christian artist named Keith Green. He says, In the morning it's manna hot day, hot cakes. We snacked on manna all day. And we sure had a winner for, for dinner last night. Flaming manna souffle. They got so mad because they were grumbling about the manna that God was giving them. Remember these people? When they left Egypt, God had shown them the most incredible signs and miracles and wonders that anybody in the history of the world had ever seen. He had freed them from that hard life of labor that they were living in the hot sun. Remember they had to make bricks without straw? And that's where they first learned the two-step. One, two, one, two. God was giving them bread, manna. He was giving them water to drink. He was giving them a lamb flowing with milk and honey. And they were grumbling. So by the time we get to Numbers 20, Moses is fed up. He is exhausted after hearing grumbling, whining, and complaining for 40 years. Now turn to Numbers chapter 2. I mean 20 verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought us, brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your, your brother Aaron, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give them drink to the congregation and their cattle. So here we see Moses Doing what God had told him. Remember, he's at his wit's end. Verse 9. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded. So far, so good. Verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And wait a minute. Stop right there. Where did Moses get permission to give this scathing message and he never when did he bring water out of the rock never but look what he did where where did this anger come from rebellious anger verse 11 and moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his hand with his staff twice and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock 
Notice that Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. He struck the rock. Do you see how angry he was? He was angry. And he just hit the rock. And do you think that God overlooked that? Do you think that God said, that's okay? Look at verse 12. And, and the Lord said to Moses, Because you did not believe me to uphold me as holy in the, in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Moses is, is not allowed to, to go to the promised land. You say, isn't that a bit harsh? All he did was hit the rock. He was fed up. He couldn't take it no more. But the Lord would not let him go in. Three times he prayed, God, let me. And God said, no, that's it. Don't ask me anymore. My answer is final. And he could not go into the promised land. That's why James 1.19 says, Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know what? This is better counsel than a psychiatrist. And a lot cheaper too. When you know the will of God and you willfully and intentionally move in another direction, that is unbelief, plain and simple. Moses' action said, I don't believe I'm going to do it your way, Lord. I'm going to do it my way. And in doing so, he struck the rock. That was unbelief. Don't think that God let him get away with it. He didn't. In a single moment of rage, Moses forfeited his right to enter the promised land. You see, Moses had a character flaw that was never truly dealt with. And God was patient, but God said, enough. The lesson here, God judges leadership. Leadership is on display for all to see. And if you serve in a position of leadership in whatever capacity, your ministry is primarily people. People. Ministry is people. In Moses' loss of self-control, he let his anger fly, but he failed to honor the holiness of God. He tainted God's glory. And this is especially important for a servant of God whom he puts in a place of, of leadership. That's why James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. God judges his people and God judges his leadership. God forgave Moses, but there were terrible consequences. And lastly, righteous anger. Turn to... Um, no, don't turn. Here's a bit of information that you might find interesting. The word anger in the Old Testament is used 455 times, and 375 times refers to God's anger. There are a lot of verses that says, The anger of the Lord, my wrath, the anger of the Lord was kindled. In Exodus 4.14, Exodus 32, uh, Numbers 11.1. 1. But we're talking about the anger of God. And first, you must understand that God's anger is righteous because He cannot let sin go unpunished. Throughout the book of Numbers, you see the anger of the Lord was aroused. You can read about it. God says in Psalm 711, God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. God is angry when we violate His law and His principles. But righteous anger comes from an accurate perception of evil. God's anger is not explosive, but always under control. I like that. God is angry by the mistreatment of those who are helpless, widows, orphans, and idolatry. God has a perfect standard of righteous, righteousness. His is in, he hates sin because He is infinitely holy. God's anger is perfect and holy. 
The bad news is that God hates. The good news is that God loves. But you have to start with the hate. You have to start with the diagnosis first and then the cure. When I ask, are you saved? You say, saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. Are you saved against sin? God has, the Father has poured out His full fury of wrath against sin on His only Son, Jesus. There's a verse in Isaiah that says, All we like sheep have gone astray, everyone to his own way. And the Lord, God the Father, has laid on Him, God the Son, the iniquity of us all. That expression in the Hebrew, laid on him, means to strike against. If you understand that verse, it means that Jesus experienced the full force of God's divine wrath against man's sin. Christ's substitutionary death satisfied the wrath of God. And that's why John 3.36 says, He who believes, that means trusts in Jesus Christ, has eternal life. But he who does not believe... That means he rejects him, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 3.36. The prophets in the Old Testament got angry. But they thundered their message with righteous indignation. In the New Testament, John the Baptist, uh, Paul the Apostle, and Galatians, they conveyed righteous anger when it was necessary. And righteous anger isn't about getting up on your soapbox and yelling and screaming. It's about correcting a wrong, rebuking a fault, reversing a direction or a decision. It is not to be pursued with bitterness, but with biblical conviction. This is not from the Bible, but Aristotle said, anybody can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way... That is not easy. (laughs) And then lastly, the anger of Jesus. In John chapter 2, if you want to turn there, and we're going to close with this. John chapter 2, verse 13. We see the anger of Jesus. Jesus got angry at the money changers and the self-serving Pharisees because they were exploiting the religious system instead of using it to bring people to God. Verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The merchants were selling animal sacrifices, and the money changers inflated the prices, and so they were ripping the people off. And this is dramatic to see Jesus get angry. He called them a den of thieves in another uh, translation. The Passover had become corrupted and was being used for financial profit by those who came to honor God. Jesus displayed righteous anger to correct a wrong and to rebuke a corrupt religious system. He cleansed the temple because the Pharisees were violating its sacred purposes. You say, well, where was Jesus' spirit of forgiveness? Why didn't he forgive? We know without a doubt if they had repented, Jesus would have forgiven their transgressions. But Jesus' forgiveness is always in response to man's repentance. Anger, we've been taught in our life, all anger is wrong. All anger is sinful. And I just want to say, that's not true. 
We've been taught to repress and suppress our anger. But believers have the right to get angry. But at Satan, at sin, at suffering, at the disregard of sacred things. It is not self-centered and self-righteous. It's Christ-centered. It is not vindictive, but valiant and redeeming. And make sure that when you do it, you do it without losing your temper. Your words and your actions are going to be judged by others. Remember, there are consequences for your actions. In Exodus 2, Moses had to flee. In Exodus 34, he had to replace the broken uh, tablets. And in Numbers 20, he had to forfeit entering the promised land. The anger in an adult is the full-grown temper tantrum of a child. How do we deal with anger? Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. You deal with it by letting it go, releasing it. Do you have anger or bitterness towards someone? Give it to God and release it. And do you know what? Many times the person that you're angry with and bitter, they don't even know that you're angry with them. They're not affected at all. You're the one that's going to be really affected. Do you ever think about moments when you've acted in the flesh? You probably wish you could go back and say something differently and deal with it differently. But you can't. I can't. The sad fact is, none of us can go back. We can't undo those moments when we walked in irritation and indignation and wrath and fury and rage and pride. We ultimately end up reaping what we sow. You have to forgive. You say, that's hard. It's not natural. You're right. It's a God thing. It's supernatural. And if you do that, the anger will begin to fade. But you deal with the anger by releasing it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we can't go back and undo the past. But we can go forward and walk in obedience and control our anger by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us to speak to one another and not strike one another so that we don't have to live with regrets. And I ask that you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen.